I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, welcome everybody to the services this afternoon. It seems a little hot up here on the speaker, but maybe not. If it's not bothering y'all, it won't bother me. Is it too loud? Okay. Well, um, glad, glad to see you back again. It's good, good to be here. I was telling somebody, a couple of people at... Uh, I move around a little slowly. I got beat up by a cow on Monday. <laughs> so I've got bruises pretty well on everything. When Rebecca saw me hit the ground, she said, did he? Did that cow just break both your legs? And I thought it had broken tibia and femur in both of my legs. <laughs> but I am good. So if I limp around a little bit, I apologize. I'm kind of sore. Um, so there was a uh, burglar that entered a uh, house. And after he moved into the house, turned on his flashlight, he, he started walking around. And suddenly came across this nice diamond watch. And just as he picked it up, he heard a voice say, Jesus is watching. He froze and he put it back down. Stood there for a little bit, nothing happened. So he picked it back up again. And he heard a voice again say, Jesus is watching. So he quickly laid down again. He grabbed his flashlight. He moved it all around the room trying to figure out who was there. And suddenly he saw a parrot in the corner. He said, was that you? Who are you? The parrot replied, I'm Moses. He goes, Moses? Who would name their parrot Moses? The same kind of person that would name their dog, Rottweiler, Jesus. <laughs> I'm reminded by that story as I think about the lesson for today. We're continuing a series of Jesus on the way to the cross, as was discussed this morning, and we're going to see that we're going to be reminded that, yes, Jesus is watching even when no one else is. You know, know the foolish pride games that we can play. We're going to find Jesus sitting in the house of a, of a Pharisee at a banquet at a dinner. And what is unique is that while he may have been invited for a variety of reasons, I guess he could be an honored guest, like we would tend to imagine, I think one of the things we can clearly see, one of the main reasons, maybe even the sole purpose or reason, was that he was to be watched by the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were always looking to keep an eye on Jesus. And as Kyle spoke about this morning, they had little trust in Jesus. In fact, they were just flat out suspicious of him. They did not know, they didn't want to know a lot about him, or they did want to know a lot about him, but didn't want to really get close to him. They just wanted to watch him. They didn't like him because he challenged their customs. They had little desire to have him in and around their group because of the influence he had on the people, he had on others. But so we find here, he has been invited to the house of a chief Pharisee for a banquet. But what we're going to find out here is that it is Jesus who is doing the watching. You see, he was, he was clearly invited so that he could be watched, but we're going to see in the story, I believe that it's Jesus that is doing the watching. So we go to the banquet, and we don't really know much about the banquet. We don't know what kind of meal it was. We don't know if there were hors d'oeuvres or salads and fruits and vegetables, goat on a bone. I don't really know. We don't know anything about the story. We don't know how fancy it was. We assume that it was a nice meal. It was the Pharisees. But as Jesus sits at the table, I think we'll see he himself serves up some good menu items. You're going to see that he serves up hypocrisy. He's going to serve up some humility, and he's going to serve up some hospitality. And what I mean by that is he's going to unveil the Pharisees' hypocrisy. 
He's going to expose and underscore the lack of humility that they have. And he's going to uncover the selfish motivation and their sense of hospitality. That's what's going to be on the menu at dinner. So as we begin with this parable, and I want to remind us of what a, a parable is. I know most of you probably know what a parable is, but it's just a story that's placed along a truth to illustrate that truth in its context. Okay? So you're going to find that it's important here that we understand in this parable that this one of the reasons why it was important with Jesus and his teachings is, is through his various locations and, and along this journey that we're going to see, we'll, we'll dive into some parables. It's He's in various places, and, and we're seeing the importance of him answering to issues in, that, in a specific context. So let's begin in Luke 14. Uh, we just finished up Luke 13 this morning. We'll jump into Luke 14. <clears throat> it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. So the first thing we see as we read, note, note it was the Sabbath. And they were there to closely watch him, or he was there to be watched. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know if something catches you particularly about this, these first couple of verses, but it says, note there was a man that had dropsy. Now, I don't know if you know what dropsy is, but dropsy is a, uh, it's just a disease that occurs when our limbs and our our uh, stomach, our abdomen area, can become distended with water. It's, it would be uh, typical to a cardiac failure, congestive heart failure, um, renal or liver function problems. And so he had become distended with water. So now understand the context here. I want you to seriously think about what is the, the place, the context, the setting that, that we find ourselves in here. Because doesn't it sound like a setup? Do you believe that it's a coincidence that Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee? Remember, Jesus, the Pharisees didn't really care for Jesus. And this diseased man who normally would not have a chance at all of being in a Pharisee's home. They would have had nothing to do with him. There's no way he would have ended up in a Pharisee's home. You see, the Pharisees, if you think about them, they were kind of this superior sanctity. In fact, Looking up the word Pharisees in the Hebrew roots or the Aramaic, it actually means uh, se separated from or detached. So you see, they were separated from roughly the rest of society, riffraff, those beneath them. Not only were they more holy, more wealthy, more knowledgeable, more distinguished, in turn, everybody else was not honored. They were ignorant, they were filthy, they were despised, rejected, shamed. And so naturally, they looked down on them in a condescending manner. You see, it's much like the caste system. I've been to India before, and, uh, and I know Mike and some of the other guys, Yancey, have been to Nigeria, and I uh, think various parts of those countries have a tremendous amount of caste system. There's the haves and the have-nots, and the haves look down on the ha uh, have-nots, and they will forever. You don't belong in our society. You're almost the untouchables, at least in India. The Pharisees were pretty well like this. They were the top of the food chain. Not only did they not want you at their house, they really probably could care less if you lived. So the Pharisees' lives, you've got to understand, were based on status. So that's what's important to picture here is the setting. 
it's important to understand the whole context of this parable, actually the irony, because it's a setup. You see, this diseased man would have never been allowed in this house, but he's there for a reason, I believe. It's, it's a trap. Jesus were there, was there to be watched carefully. Let's continue on in verse 3. It says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and healed him and sent him away. So he takes this diseased man and he asks a question about him. A man that you typically wouldn't see there, but he asked him about the healing on the Sabbath. That's an interesting question, right? Why? Because the Pharisees weren't aware of any kind of prohibitions about healing on the Sabbath, so they said nothing. Sure, they wanted to say something, but they, they said nothing. So he asked him, he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things. Again, he asked a question of them, and there was crickets. You see, these great scholars of the Mosaic Law were dumbfounded. They couldn't answer him. They had nothing to say in response. Verse 6 says they had nothing to say. You see, he was exposing their hypocrisy. And he's, you're going to see, I believe he's headed to, to serving up some humility in a little bit. Let's continue on in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, We're invited by someone to a wedding feast. Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Let me go ahead and finish reading that, I think. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of, who all, of, of all who sit at table with you. You see in verse 7, as he talks about this uh, parable, he introduces this parable to us, you see why they're watching him closely, what do you know? But Jesus is watching them too. He watches them and he waits for them to reveal their self-promoting heart as they scramble to find the best seat in the house. Now, probably most of you in this room uh, have been at some kind of event uh, where we understand priority seating, right? Some, the customs of seating. Uh, easiest thing to think of, I can think of, uh, Supreme Court justices, the nine Supreme Court justices. You have the Chief Justice in the middle. I've been able to be, uh, uh, Rebecca and I have been able to visit the Supreme Court house. It's interesting to learn all about that. The Supreme Court Justice, a Chief Justice sits in the middle, and to his right will be the next most important of tenure, and to his left will be the next one, and then to the right and to the left, down to the ninth one, down on the other end. So anybody can walk in the room and see status and tenure. Uh, the President of the United States, when you see him sitting with his cabinet, he's usually sitting in the middle of a table, uh, center section, and to his cabinet you'll see the most important people staggered off to him, right, left, right, left, right, left, and, and until the table is filled out. We know all the different types of customs. If you go to China, you're going to find that they do round tables. Oh, where's the head of the table? The guy sitting opposite the, ta uh, the, the entry. 
So when you walk into a room, there'll be a round table, but you'll always be able to see who the host at that table is. There's a lot of things where we can understand. VIP receptions, uh, various hosts, I mean, even airplanes today. You know, you get the first class seat, and it's like, I'm sorry, you guys need to go on to the back. Yeah. Everything has seatings of honor, right? It seems like anymore. Two teachings Jesus gives us, or he gave them, and I believe he gives us. The first one, I'll say it really does matter what seat you choose. You see verses 8 through 10 here? He's speaking to the invited guest and the, and the host and us too. Now I want you to again think about the likely seating arrangement. There's probably Jesus sitting at a table and there's probably those that are, 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 are the Pharisee, the host is sitting at a table and probably the closest are scrambling to get a seat that probably moves out around and, and the likely seating was probably a long table that probably curved out into a U so there would be a focus back on the host uh, seat. The easiest way to think about that probably in our way is a wedding feast, a wedding party. Uh, a bride and groom would sit at the head table. You'd have the wedding party and the, the family, and then, you know, you'd eventually work your way back through the room to uh, those people you chose to invite that you felt obliged to invite, and you didn't really care if they came or not. You just hoped they brought a gift. <laughs> but they're way back there, right? All the way up to the very important seats. I've been at some of those tables before. You sit at the way back of the back, your tablecloth doesn't even match the rest of the room. We've probably been there. If you ever attended something where you thought you were on the VIP reception list and kind of find out, I don't think I, maybe it was on quite as far up as I thought I would be. Often when you come into a room at these large receptions, there may be someone that host will actually, as you come in, they'll look at your name, they'll have a table number or something reserved, and they will take you to a table. Sometimes it's not the table you thought you were going to get. <laughs> Rebecca and I years ago were uh, invited to a dinner where B President Bush was speaking. We were so excited. We had this. We had been invited to this great dinner over at a hotel uh, ballroom, and when we walked in, we were pretty well almost the last table outside the doors. <laughs> He probably had a few closer friends than us. Not sure how we made the list, but uh, it was nice to be in the room. He was at some kind of retirement party that he was speaking at that we also knew the people. So, but you can find out pretty quickly where you stand, right? In your relationship, when at least in the eyes of the host, where you stand with them. You think, well, I guess they have some closer friends than me. The importance of this banquet is, is, is what, and the seating is what Jesus is watching here. The point is, see, the entire system of these Pharisees it was based on honor and shame, honor and shame, honor and shame. That was part of their society. So the next thing on the menu that we'll see is humility. You see, he's discussing, it would be humili humiliating to come in and sit in a seat only to find out at this wedding or banquet feast that that seat's actually been reserved for someone else of honor. And you're asked to move. Hmm. Pretty humiliating, right? It might not be the seat you want. But you see, it's not too much different than how we might do the same thing today in a reception. You see, it'd be better if you chose a lousy seat at the back and then that host might come and say to you, you know what, friend? Hey, move up. We, we've got a better seat for you. Now, I believe Jesus also here is not teaching. This teaching is not about dinner banquet etiquette. It's not an advice, nor is it advice on how to game the system. How to be a better hypocrite, I guess is what I mean. 
It's not just saying, hey, you come in this room with all this humility, with the really, really the hopes and expectations of gaining honor and being moved up. It's not, not a mechanism to work the system. Come in looking humble, expecting the upgrade. You see, he was teaching honor and shame, and it, it was very, mo- very much part of their culture back then. And so he was teaching humility. So you see, it really does matter what seats you choose. In verse 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the goal can't be to be recognized through humility in turn to receive honor. You see, that's a game. And Jesus can see right through that. Today, we would just refer to that simply as pride. Pride is the master of destruction. We can try to disguise it in many forms. Every good deed can be done with an end game of self-recognition. Hey, what a good guy I am. I went and visited some people at the hospital this week, make sure I saw to the needs, and then what do we do? We come back to church on Sunday and let everybody know what great things we did. Oddly enough, we can get very proud of our humility, right? Get very proud of our humility. You know, that's like writing a a book on humility and how I achieved it. That's the way a lot of people sometimes refer to their humbleness. You see, yes, pride can sneak in with subtlety. But eventually it can be manifested in such a blatant manner like the guests scrambling for the best seats. Yeah, we can shake our heads and say, oh, those Pharisees. But you know, if we're honest, we probably can see some symptoms of this in our lives disguised in many forms. May cut someone down to lift yourself up. You know, you push others down to falsely lift yourself up. You know, my wife warns me all the time to be careful not to let my head get puffed up or, or arrogant in and be prideful in some of the things I get to do through my, through my business, through my work. Sometimes um, I, w- I get to meet or I'm, I'm, we're doing projects with people that would be considered distinguished. Been at the table with a lot of people that have clout. You know, you get to some people, they might have clout to others, they might be not, nothing, you know, but sitting at a lunch table with someone like a Jerry Jones or Right now, we actually are doing a project for George Bush. Yeah, that, that's really great. He's a man. He was a former president. That's, that's great. I've worked with a lot of businessmen, great business, and we're working one with one right now that's nearly a billionaire out in South Carolina. You know what? He told me he doesn't have a lot of friends. He asked me, would you be a friend? Because as he said, asked him if there was anything I could do for him. He said, would you be a friend? This guy's nearly a billionaire, very lonely. Met with a lot of famous artists, musicians. Met with a lot of congressmen, state officials. In fact, recently I was speaking uh, at a conference in D.C. We were speaking at a hotel. I was speaking at a hotel about two or three blocks from the Capitol. Rebecca was actually with me on this trip. <clears throat> we were appropriately sitting at the back. I had spoken at the event, and I was a pretty minor guest speaker. Spoken at the event, we were sitting at the back of uh, this particular banquet hall in this private room. We knew we had an honored guest coming. He arrived about 20 minutes early. 
Secret Service opened up the door, and he walked in, and he sat down right beside Rebecca. <laughs> and I was like, I was kind of jealous. <laughs> How come she got my seat? <laughs> I admit I was envious for a moment. No, I thought it was cool, but you know what? It was so Ben Carson had arrived to speak at this event. Did a great job in speaking. He sat there waiting for his turn. He was early, and he, so he, he got to sit there for a good while. But you know there's one common theme when you find out people like that, they're just people. Maybe they're really wealthy, maybe they're really popular, maybe they require secret service, whatever it is, but they're just people. But there's a lot of people that want to fight to be along people like that. Sometimes we allow our decisions to be influenced by what others will think of, it, of, of us instead of doing what's right. We're awful mindful of keeping up with our appearances of humility as if it's some kind of mask we wear. And then, of course, what we really enjoy doing is being with those who make us look good, you know, feel good about ourselves, make us feel important. What causes us in our mind to be elevated in their eyes? You see, that's what Jesus was watching. We're often concerned with what we think of success. You know, a famous quote been around for a while is, if I could buy that man for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, I'd be a filthy rich man. You see, do we have elevated views of ourselves? We need to ask ourselves, how do we view ourselves? Do we esteem ourselves compare, better compared to others? Again, that's what Jesus was addressing here. You know, there was a small plane with three passengers on it and three parachutes. The plane was beginning to suffer mechanical failure. It was going down. Suddenly, the cockpit door opened up, and the pilot came out and said, Look, guys, I've got a wife and three kids. I can't, I can't die. Grabbed a parachute, opened the door, and jumped out. Quickly, another man stood up and, and quickly ranted, I'm a leader in the computer industry. I'm clearly the smartest man on this plane. Grabbed a parachute and jumped out. Well, the two left were a preacher and a, and a little 12-year-old boy scout. The preacher turned to the boy and said, you know, I've lived a good life. I've lived a long life. You're young. You've got a lot of life ahead of you. You take the last parachute. I'll go down with the plane. The boy turned to the preacher and said, Preacher, don't worry. He said, the smartest man on the plane just grabbed my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> you see, sometimes we're not as smart as we often think we are. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility becomes, comes before honor. Sometimes we think highly of ourselves. Everyone needs me, wishes they knew me, wishes they could be like me, wishes they could learn from me, wishes they, wish they could sit by me. Who do you consider above or beneath you? That's a tough question. Who do you consider, maybe in this room, but in the people you run with, work, school, who do you consider above or beneath you? You ever feel yourself being annoyed by others 
or because someone else received praise or recognition that you didn't. That's pride. Scrambling for the best seat in the house to receive the honor you deserve. And you want others to recognize it too. Trampling others to elevate yourself. And when we're asked to take a lower seat than what we feel we deserved or earned, you think, I deserve better than this. I fought for the best seat. I've resolved in my mind, I deserve that seat. You know what the Bible teaches us? To think, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. You see, verse, back in verse 11, it says God does the exalting. If we try to do the exalting, we're going to find it to be a very painful and humiliating, potentially, set of consequences. And asked to take possibly that seat of lower esteem. Proverbs 25 and verse 6 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. You see, come in humbly, and God will rise you up. Come in arrogant, and God will move you down. You think about what true humility is. True humility takes us to the foot of the cross where we are all aware of ourselves. You see, you can never have, really have humility when you're preoccupied with yourself. Can you imagine being preoccupied with yourself, sitting at the foot of the cross, watching Christ die on that cross? You think any ounce of you would be preoccupied with yourself? You see, humility is the right estimation and the evaluation of ourselves in the sight of God. So one of the lessons we learned here is that it really does matter what seats you choose. The next lesson I believe Jesus gives us is it really matters who you invite to dinner. <laughs> you see, Jesus was first speaking to the guest, and then he speaks to the host. <clears throat> Go back to Luke 14 and verse 12. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give him a dinner or a banquet, uh, or give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, be careful to not misunderstand what he's saying here. He is not saying you can't have a dinner and not invite your friends or family and all that. The reference here or the language is to not only do so. Um, or do not only invite your friends and guests and uh, our friends and families in Richmond. That'd be like us not being able to have a potluck dinner here at church, right? Because we can't invite our friends and families to a lunch. That's not what he's saying. Just don't, be, don't do only those things. Yeah, don't invite only those who you know can reciprocate. You see, the Pharisees' lives were built on reciprocation. Elevating themselves, honoring themselves so they could be, honoring one another so they could be honored by the other. You know, it'd be like us getting a, 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 a like our family getting a letter from the Joneses saying, hey, we want to invite y'all over to dinner. Uh-oh, baby, we've got to invite the Joneses over to dinner soon because <laughs> they've invited us to their house. Providing a seat of honor to someone with the understanding of obligation or, 
or, or setting them with a seat of honor so surely your time will come to be seated closest to the host? Or knowing when someone can't reciprocate, what do you do? You just cross them off the list, right? Nothing they can do for you in return. But we say to those that are important, hey, you're important. You sit here. Why? Why would someone do that? Because that's self-serving. But who does Jesus say to invite? Those who can't reciprocate. Those who won't be impressed with us. Reach out to those who can't do anything in return for us. It says focus on inviting and providing hospitality. Create an investment in others. Why? Because he says simply you'll be blessed. He says live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do we size up others in terms of what they can do for me? That they can facilitate a program for us, they can help feed my ego, provide for my needs, maybe even give us a strategic advantage. You know, I want to do good for others, especially when it makes me look good. Or, or more importantly, when I'll help esteem others because of what they'll do in return for me. That's what Jesus is referring to here. You see, it really does matter who you invite. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. Jesus said to do good to those who can do nothing for you in return. Provide the kind of love without any strings attached. Sometimes we have to fight against our, those natural tendencies. We're a consumer-oriented society. We want something in turn for our investment, right? But we need to understand earthly reward versus, versus eternal reward. So this, more, so this afternoon, I'll ask you, how are you living? How are we living? How are we giving of ourselves and to others? The repayment of what we can get now or, or receive through our diligence, knowing that our reward is in the future. You know, if we live for reciprocation, we're no better for than, than just the world. But when we live for Jesus, we live with no expectations in return other than through his promises. So I think the lessons we can learn from, from this parable are to humble ourselves and invite those in your life that will not elevate you and, and that can give you zip in return. Because in doing so, we'll be exalted not by others, but by God. You know, in closing, Philippians 2, and I don't have this particular scripture up here, true humility is as close to taking on the mind of Christ as we become. Philippians 2, beginning of the 5th verse, says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with, with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness, likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Every day we can be faced with choices to move up or down due to our humility and our pride. There are a lot of people down in this world that we can help move up, and that we can be an influence on, not only through, to ourselves, but, but to them. And God will exalt us. So the two lessons I believe that Jesus leaves us here in this parable, it really matters who 
uh, what seats you choose, and it really matters who you invite to the dinner. To seek to serve and lift others up with, with humility and hospitality. What a great uh, lesson for us to learn and be aware of, believe in this, in this simple parable that Jesus has left for us. That's my thoughts for this afternoon. I hope it's been encouraging to you. Um, we'll ask you to stand as we sing the song of invitation.